just gonna lay down for a little nap. A little nappy poo. Pick me up when you're ready here on Future Please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Great, Scott. I've just come back from the future. Too bad I don't remember anything. Whoops. I'm your co-host, Peter. Oh, uh, so... Star Trek. Season 3, Episode 8. Twilight. First aired November 5th, 2003. Written by Mike Sussman. Yet again, Phyllis Strong, suspiciously absent. Uh, directed by Voyager fan favorite Robert Duncan McNeil. Robbie Dunks coming in. And like the last Enterprise episode he directed, he seemed to get some more juice out of folks than we are used to. I really enjoyed this episode. I hadn't revisited it in some time. I forgot that how well it was produced. I feel like a, the, a lot of detail uh, went into this. Certainly some money in, in doing novel effects. And, you know, it, it had that, um, what was it? Uh, what was that Voyager episode where they they have their parallel version that gets eaten by the Vidians? Deadlock. Deadlock, that's right. One of my favorites. Actually, I have a little deadlock story myself. You do? Yeah. Did you uh, meet an alternate dimension version of yourself and almost make out with him? Kind of. I had a $300 jogging stroller that uh, the brake was droopy on, and that was already a replacement of a replacement from the company Juvie. They sent me another replacement, and I took that one with a droopy brake, and we gave it to my father-in-law. It's just been rotting in his garage and then lo and behold, we went to go jogging and unfold this $300 jogging stroller and the fucking thing like collapsed. So I had to go back to my father-in-law's house and go into the garage where there's this stroller just covered in dead flies and dust it off. <clears throat> and the stroller that I had written off as just junk that mm-hmm. was there if he ever needed to take the kids for a, a stroller ride or whatever. And then that replaced the new good stroller that I thought would last us the rest of the time that my kids are small enough to need to be in jogging strollers. And it's that one that gets to live and go back out on the trail. And the good stroller that the frame cracked or whatever is going in the fucking trash. <laughs> it is. That is in fact the plot. I was of, thinking about, I was, I was scavenging yeah. the break off the good stroller to part swap with the shitty, uh, what I thought was the shitty stroller. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, this is just like deadlock. I, I thought for sure this would have never happened. Wow. What a plot twist. Well, I mean, this had a deathlock element to it. This episode here, you got to see everyone get killed, right? Like class, classic Star Trek trope. Let's just let, let's give everyone an opportunity to have a dramatic death on screen. Yeah. And- fun. I'd like to do that as an actor. Um, I want to, I want to go back to the director thing. Robert Duncan McNeil does not have a definable style, right? But I absolutely, yeah. after this one, do believe that you're right, that he is able to get more mileage out of these actors. Is it because he himself is a Star Trek actor and knows what it's like to sit there in the uniform and push the buttons on the colored panels? Uh, or is it because this guy is only coming in here and there? And again, we go to like Livingston's, um, Mike Viger, uh, David Striden. Like there's, there's people that we're seeing their names over and over again in these director credits. Livingston specifically, who is so thorough and efficient that he is able to produce, ep- I'm sorry, direct episodes that come in under the runtime and they have to write additional scenes. He's good at what he's doing. Does he have the passion to make what he's doing fantastic? I think there's certainly a level of uh, professional. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Quality that he wants to maintain. But I don't think he's looking to really make something special for the fans or. No, I, I you know, I think Occam's Razor is to describes why Ro- Robbie Dunks seems to get where he gets with folks. And you already said it. He's been there. 
He did this gig for seven fucking years every goddamn day. He knows what's easy, what's hard, and and what you can communicate with these actors of what you're trying to get out of them because he's lived the life. And, you know, so did Roxanne Dawson, so did a bunch of other people. But I, for whatever reason, I think he's got more of the kind of actor's eye towards making, getting, getting people to give their all. And I think it, it's enthusiasm. I, I think 50-50, right? The guy knows what it's like to be there and he knows what carrots to dangle to get the mileage he wants, but then also it's enthusiasm. When's the last time he directed something? The guy's trying to make a career for himself as a director. Uh, this is a great opportunity to showcase his skills and really knock it out of the park. He knows what the fans want. He knows what the uh, actors are capable of. Unlike poor LeVar Burton, production uh staff is not handing him complete fucking turkeys yeah that's something to really look at too like if you got a great script here you know he had got a lot to work with i i I fully believe he was supposed to get timeless and instead somehow you know there was a mix-up in the mailroom and lavar burton got that one (laughs) if you would take the fucking pieces of shit that they've had lavar do uh extinction is there a way that robert duncan mcneil could have made that great i don't think so this was a great script to work with But I think there really is something to say about these directors, and maybe this is why they don't do anymore. These directors, out of a 26-episode thing, they're doing like 12 episodes apiece. Like, it gets too routine. And they're not doing a bad job, but they're not out to set the world on fire. Do you think they gave it to him because it was a rejected Voyager script? (laughs) How interesting is that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Number Like, the memory alpha on this thing is thick. It is a thick boy. It is paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of production detail that I am unaccustomed to seeing for any enterprise episode, even and tail end of Voyager. And the number one item here is that Sussman originally had this as a Voyager episode where it was Janeway and Chakotay rather than Archer and T'Pol. And the whole idea was similar to like pitch it as a semi love story care to, you know, like uh, to, to mix the personal with the professional and that relationship uh, and it didn't get used then. And the idea got dusted off here for, for enterprise to say, well, we've got, uh, uh, the same dynamic except in reverse here. Why, why not give it a go? This is also, I think the last gasp of the attempt to put to Paul and Archer together. This is the last time they try to like float that as a story idea. And I think this is the best version of it by far because they don't really commit to the bit entirely. It's just kind of this implied. Yeah. It's just implied sense of like to Paul growing closer to someone naturally over time because she feels this life debt and she never acknowledges, nor does Archer ever acknowledge like a romantic connection. It's actually flocks that observes the potential. Um, And it works so much better than some of that, the sort of weird, creepy, version of this that they've done previously between Archer and her. Absolutely. Um, Let me just jump to the end on this episode because the Wikipedia, I'm sorry, the memory alpha, like there's two or three pages of just this website gave it a 10 out of 10. And this website gave it, you know, five pips out of five pips. And everybody loved this fucking thing. Even when this was running, UPN ran a uh, a poll, you know, what's your favorite episode? And this thing came out head and shoulders above to the point where they even like rebroadcast it as an award for winning best of. This is a great episode. I'm rating this as an excellent. Until the last 20 seconds and basically, you know, they slap it with it was an all a dream and just completely sabotage was just a phenomenal world builder and a great cautionary tale of what happens if you fail. Well, uh, I, I, I don't think that necessarily sabotages the episode because the whole point was just for the viewer to know I'm what sick happens of that, though, when man. they fail. You know, like they can't actually fail. We know they can't actually fail because we're watching a prequel. So how do you convince the audience to buy into the stakes, Right. You convince them by showing them, like, here's what the bad ending looks like. <laughs> right? Like, here it is in all of its glory. Here's Earth exploding. Here's the remnants of, of humanity being hunted to extinction. 
Here's the desperate last stand of all of the heroes dying one by one. And at the end, they succeed. But in succeeding, they've wiped away the timeline in which they have failed. And then none of them are aware of it. That actually makes a lot more sense to me than anyone remembering what happened. Great. I already got that in Year of Hell. And Year of Hell, frankly, did it better. You know, you know what? Fair point. And that was our, our big criticism of Year of Hell was we didn't get to keep any of the the stuff we liked that we wanted to carry on to the show, particularly like Seven and Tuvok. Yeah. Um, you take Timeless, which was, I still think, my favorite Star Trek Voyager episode. And, he, and that one did uh, retain continuity, right? Just a little. Just Harry enough. sends a message and says, you know, we broke a lot of rules to do this and and learn from it and whatever. And, and, and Janeway, Janeway knows. knows. Yeah, like that was the important part is that Janeway knows. Right. Harry Kim was willing to break all the rules to save their lives. This and, you know, we can talk more about towards the, the later point. But I think if Archer were to come back with some sort of memory of what happens you know what? Here, where's my fucking pen? Here. Okay. Let me plot pen this one right now. You put this thing, uh, season three, episode one. Okay. Or season three, episode two. All the changes that happened to Archer that we say, hey, you know, this really seems like they hit the reset button on this character, or there's like wild shifts in between what we knew of him being a petulant shitty man child and now this jack bauer 24 guy if this was the one of the first episodes of season and he was able to come out of this with some sort of knowledge of knowing like how deep this knife is going to cut if he's wrong then i completely buy the turn on a dime uh 180 shift in the way this guy operates but that relies on the writers being self-aware about how shitty they wrote him in the past, which I don't doubt they are, <clears throat> you know, like clearly they, they picked a vibe up on him and executed on it from this point forward. That is an improvement. And we've noted that mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think they understood that that's what, that there was a need for that level of improvement. But I'm just you saying, know what I mean? in your mind, like if he could come back and be like, wow, I need to quit fucking around. I can't chase every, comet down this wild uh boy scout curiosity i would have had about the iron spheres that are you know that we encountered in the space pirate episode like if he had been traumatized by this knowledge now all of a sudden the fact this guy's like no we're not here to study we're here to win a war uh and i think that would have been a great starting point for the season of like i'm I'm ready to be evil if that's what it takes. Uh, again, the space pirate episode, like, you know, if you would have talked to me before, I just quantum leaped. And that's <laughs> this is quantum. <laughs> yes, exactly. I want Scott Bakula to bring knowledge from the future back to an earlier point in his life. Okay, <laughs> there's there's all the explanation that Scott Bakula can do these things. All of a sudden, him threatening to blow someone out of a fucking airlock makes a lot of sense and then i I think that would have been good character growth by the time we get to uh whatever that last episode was the shipment or whatever where he has to start reeling back and like okay i i can't just blindly terrorist bomb production facilities like i saw earth destroyed i remember that but killing these people these innocent people is wrong and i'm gonna have to reel it in just a little bit We're, we're way ahead of ourselves we open up in this episode with uh, something we haven't seen in a while. Nakey Scott Bakula, shirtless, laying in his bed, showing off them pecs. Everyone's got to take a turn. And, you know, respect Scott Bakula. <laughs> you're, mm-hmm. you're the oldest man on this on this crew and, and on this uh, uh, cast, but you are still spending all the time you need in the gym. Good for you. Mm-hmm. And how could you not? I mean, you got to compete with the likes of... Uh, Shirtless Mayweather, fucking, uh, Mayweather, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Sure, I, I, when, when one of our fans posted the right of Star Trek uh, episode in five words, I said shirtless Mayweather brings world peace. <laughs> I mean, yeah. man's just in that kind of shape. I but think you need to replace world peace with galactic peace. The they they find. <laughs> 
they sign the charter of the Federation on his sculpted back. <laughs> uh, it's if things are obviously fucky because uh, there's some guy, some dude who's not letting uh, Archer to the bridge uh, by order of the captain question mark. And when he gets there, he sees to Paul. And a Starfleet. Uniform. Oh, hold on. So the guy won't let him go on the bridge. So he does what any reasonable person does. And he sucker punches him. Yes. It's a Star Trek tradition. We just we just watched that on uh, Picard. Uh, Jack did mm-hmm. that to the security guy outside seven's quarters. It's like, OK, mm-hmm. about that. Wham. So uh, it gets to up be to fair the- in Jonathan Archer's view. He didn't hit the guy. He just granted him sexual bliss by punching him across the head. Yeah. Just like he whispers into his ear. Thank me for the erection later. <laughs> Gets to the bridge. Paul's in a Starfleet uniform, and they're talking about trying to blow up the engines of something. Uh, before there's more clarity, though, uh, we see what is up, and that is that a giant Death Star-sized super clock. weapon. It's a clockwork Death Star. It rolls out of some sort of subspace tear and is right at Earth, and uh, the NX-01 is helpless. Uh, before it's it's super laser might as it uh, boils the Earth's oceans, cracks its its uh, surface and ultimately destroys the entire planet in a quite effective uh, effect for the time. Um, and this is mission fail right here. Earth has been destroyed. That's a mission fail music from Mass Effect one. Uh, and that speaking of music, a jarring shift as much as I hate the fucking Star Trek intro for Enterprise, this jaunty full house version that they're doing with season three, they've had some pretty dark openers. Uh, jump mm-hmm. back to the the zombie uh, Vulcan ones where, you know, impulse. Yeah. To Paul's getting fucking chained down and, and hypo sprayed in the neck as she's thrashing, saying you're going to kill me. Earth being destroyed by a Death Star. And then you click on that. It's goofy a no. banjo cover. <laughs> <laughs> It really highlights how fucking ridiculous and ill-placed that intro is. And that intro uh, that is superior to the prior ones as voted by our fans. You know, I'll put a fucking... I'll tell you right now, if I put this thing up as a permanent poll, I, it will lose. Your, your stance will you lose. You mean the vote you already lost? You want to lose again? Technical difficulties, man. Technical you want to lose diff- again? Okay. No, it's okay. I, re- I respect you enough that if you want to lose again to me, that's fine. They open up uh, after the credits. And it's Archer laying there with a bad haircut, which we're going to find out later. This Sue Vol's haircut. More <laughs> importantly, though, this uh, shanty town of Earth refugees, as we will come to find out. Luckily, there's an Ikea. Uh, my wife was quick to point out that's called the Ikea O chair. Because when you sit in it, you go, oh, this is nice. I actually have one uh, in my storage room. So that's, <laughs> that's a little something me and Scott Bakula have in common. He wakes up and, it, you know, he's got the gray bowl haircut. He, he's supposed to be older. And the gentle aging that they tried to apply to everybody is is notable. Uh, some of it more successful uh, than others. How did Reed turn into Mr. Burns? <laughs> <laughs> Am I to believe that in Enterprise current timeline, like Reed is, I don't know, in his early 70s. So when they have to pick him up 12 years in the future, he's like jittery and like, like, he might as well just had a fucking cane. And that the terrible goatee and mustache I thing know. they put on him. I mean, just like, bro, why? Why did we do this? Did they let him do his own special effects makeup? And that's like what he she just showed up coming in like a Nicolas Cage with his own homemade uh, Superman costume. He comes in like store bullshit. Halloween store bullshit. Look, guys, I've aged myself. That looks like shit. But you know what? You can wear it. So uh, Archer wakes up in a very nice looking, very clean little uh, domicile. And he walks out. There's to Paul with some long hair. She's making breakfast. He's like, what's let's not undersell. I know they've tried to like sex up to Paul and make her slutty and horny at different times during the show so explicitly as to like cause us a certain degree of like disgust. Mm. This is the hottest Paul's ever been. <laughs> this she is just got this whole she's got the ponytail, she's wearing the sweater, and I don't know. 
It's just like, this is actually attractive right here. I don't know. Her greased up rolling around in a bra in uh, the decontamination room. That was pretty hot. It was shameless. It was yeah. shameful. Um, if you want, if you know, if you got a thing for ponytails, go for it. I'll, I'll... Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> there was a let's continue (laughs) so uh he's like what the fuck and she's like yeah well listen i've had this conversation with you like i don't know probably two thousand times or whatever i don't know what's 365 times 12 right yeah yeah four thousand times or so we've done this a lot and i've got a really good uh elevator pitch for you so uh here's the deal what's the last thing you remember well we were walking away from the command center and one of those uh, terrible twisted hallway bubbles, which is the space anomalies, which they've been dealing with because they do, do not have the ship caked in Trellium D, which is really like double guilty. They don't talk about it in this episode, but uh, a bubble rips down the hallway. It knocks uh, some shit down to Paul's leg gets pinned. Archer is determined to free her before the next bubble comes down. He frees her just in time for her to get out of the way. Unfortunately, he gets hit. And it gives him what I would like to call this episode, which is the head wound of a lifetime. Archer finally got head wounded too hard. He got time TBI'd. But I mean, this this is the, the head wound of a lifetime. This is the head wound that just can perpetually resonate day after day, year after year. This um, is a head wound so traumatic it broke space time mm-hmm. this is i i have to assume that he just painted the walls and come after yeah. he after he came to the realization that he has literally the worst head head trauma in all of time and space this head trauma was so bad it knocked him clear out of star trek enterprise over voyager which is where the script was supposed to come through this head wound knocked him past tomorrow into next week over. It's a wonderful life into the follow-up movie, which it's a shitty life. <laughs> uh, so lots of guilt for T'Pol because a, he gets hit with this massive head wound that has resulted in him being unable to form long-term memories uh, because she was pinned on the floor after a, uh, space anomaly hit the ship effectively because they can't coat the ship in Trellium D that would have protected them because that will make her go into a mindless space zombie mode. As a consequence, as implied from the beginning here and is then reemphasized by other characters as the episode goes on, she feels like she has like a Wookiee style life debt to Archer and dedicates herself to his care. First thing she does is essentially effectively and then later officially take command of Enterprise. As the diagnosis sets in, as Archer comes to the realization he's incapacitated, they try to involve him, but it gets hard. He keeps coming up with the same ideas. He keeps wanting to be of assistance, but it's hard because he doesn't remember what he does. Recounting the past to him, by the way, from the future. Which, and then we see like it cut in, right? We see the dis- the description in the form of scenes that are played out in front of us. Um, and it's a parasite and Phlox is dedicated to try and find a cure, but he's struggling to do so. And ultimately, Starfleet does manage to get a message through to tell to Paul, you're going to have to take command of the vessel. The things seem to be going OK. Well, before uh, before we move on, you had mentioned that the near future timeline that we're going to because there's there's present day, which is when he gets hit by the time bubble. Then there's near future, which is like a month or so after he's been dealing with this head wound mm-hmm. when force and states her as a captain. She has to don the uniform, but it would be illogical to zip that thing up and button it all the way. So. Again, going back to the, the shameless way that they often there always has to be that sexy angle like. She's got this thing like unbuttoned to the point where it's just sport and cleavage. Ridiculous. I always thought I wanted to see her in a uniform. I finally see her in a uniform. I'm like, congratulations. You even managed to like fuck up the the stupid jumpsuit. 
It's it's like an unfuck upable piece of costuming, and yet they still managed to do it. It's a utilitarian yeah. jumpsuit. Not only does it not look utilitarian, it doesn't even really look sexy and attractive. It just looks like she doesn't know how to wear clothes correctly. The things go bad when apparently at some point in in this version of events, when T'Pol is in charge, they get jumped by the Zim-D reptiles. In getting jumped, they Travis dies. <laughs> See his like dead body on the ground. And they fucked up the ship super bad and they are attempting to board. And all the weapons are down. They're out of options. And so Paul jumps into the driver's seat and pulls the baddest trick I have ever seen, which is, oh, their ship is Dr. Ours, huh? Well, why don't I go ahead and sideswipe the other Zindi ship with the Zindi ship that's docked? I hit you with your own ship. And takes them both out, which is really cool. Yeah. And they show it. And then the consequence, though, is that the ship that's docked obviously peels off, uh, you know, and and hits Enterprise. And specifically, it fucks up the nacelle on that side bad enough that in the aftermath of this otherwise successful maneuver, the warp uh, drive is damaged such that they can only make warp 1.7, which is going to be a severely limiting factor in them actually making their way to where the Cindy weapon is being manufactured. And it's Trip who points us out. And Trip's a real dickhead this episode. Um, I think it's interesting that for, and, you know, they're, they're telling a story and it's going to be a love story and a story of guilt or whatever. So it's got to be to Paul that gets appointed. But I think realistically, under the circumstances, especially with T'Pol being uh, removed from the uh, Vulcan High Command structure, I, I, I don't see forced making anyone other than Trip the captain. Like he was supposed to be the second in command under Enterprise's initial charter. I think that um, Trip would have been highly motivated to bring these Zindi guys to justice. And you know, I don't think Force has anything against T'Pol, but as we've seen from the action grandpa episodes, trip Archer and uh, Forrest were buddies. And that if Archer really is out of commission, you got to make the earth call and, and put Florida man in there. Florida man, by the way, being critical of uh to Paul's badass grand theft auto driving there. <laughs> yeah. Um, grading. Yeah. I felt like him bagging on that particular move was a bit incredulous because it were, I mean, they were fucked. Like, yeah. They painted a really grim picture as to the circumstances they were in, and Ball turned it around and got them out of it, and it wasn't ideal, but they What else are you going to do? And they took out two Zindi ships. Like, uh, we, call, we we take those dubs. Uh, and The only thing that was missing was the airlock where the Zindi ship had docked. You can see it venting atmosphere. I wanted to see some purple gel jumpsuit lizard dudes getting sucked out into space. I will say, though, that the best part of the incursion at this point is that when they go to Archer's quarters, uh, he gets into like a wrestling match with one of them and he manages to kill the guy with an improvised space pipe stab to the chest and the stab to the chest reveals that it's not any space pipe. It is a space pipe statue of Zephram Cochran. Here's my question. Where's Porthos? I was That's Porthos true. going for the throat, tearing these these Zindi motherfuckers up. Uh, interesting that they would have picked Archer's cabin to raid in their little door by door search uh, party there. Prior to this attack, though, Flox is able to say, hey, listen. It's not just a concussion we're dealing with here. This uh, space anomaly we got hit with. This is the first time it's ever happened. It left behind organic parasites. You've got temporal brain parasites that exist outside of normal space and time. Uh, and we cannot treat these things and they are preventing you from establishing these long-term memories. So here's a full explanation of why this is going to haunt you and why it is beyond any technology we have at this point to fix. And it's a clever, um, it's a clever sickness to give him because by the end of the episode, it's a clear, we can fix this in the future and it'll also fix it in the past. 
so they so Paul finishes the narration to say we found where the weapon was assembled, but because of our limited speed, we didn't get there in time. It was deployed. Earth was destroyed. Archer has a breakdown. It's when you finally see the shanty town that they're in. And very clearly made out of parts of old spaceships. Shout out. Um, what was it? Terra Nova. Terra Nova. Yeah. Was the one where they visited the colony that was underground, but. But the colony initially Jamestown. Uh, you know, they, they what were the wagons. Um, um, Saratoga wagons, Saratoga wagons that, you know, are designed that once you reach the destination, you disassemble them, you make your initial settlement out of the, the parts of that. Uh, one interesting point, though, <clears throat> when they're doing the senior staff briefing after T'Pol crashes the ships, uh, they took a lot of prisoners. They said that there was like, I don't know, six or nine Mm-hmm. or maybe 13 Zindi prisoners, but you know, the brig was only made to hold six. We're going to put them under quarters. Like I thought those dudes had like suicide glands. Yeah. That's what happened. The first time they took prisoner was that he killed himself. Uh, and after everybody breaks out, that's when trip confronts to Paul. And was like, you know, ever, basically ever since you took over, everything's been going wrong. Everything's fucking up. And, you know, I'm going to personally hold you account. Knight doesn't say this, but you know, that's the amount of ill will he's getting from that. And she even challenges him. It's like, you don't like it. Talk to fucking forest, which kind of drives home the, the weirdness, especially, yeah, given like massive setbacks and fuck ups like that, that, uh, he wouldn't have been able to wrestle command away from her. Anyways, she tells in the future, future 12 years, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we fucked up. We lost. Earth got destroyed. Archer asks, how many humans are there left? And then she hits him with the fucking number 6,000. Not only did they go after Earth, they went after every single colony. They got Mars. They got Alpha Centauri or something. Yeah, Vega Colony. All gone. Gone. And that's when he runs out and like hyperventilates and it's like, oh, shit. Only surviving humans in a purposeful homage, apparently, to Battlestar Galactica, because they got like a leaked pilot script. Uh, managed to get there in a ragtag convoy led by Enterprise, Intrepid, and a couple other ships that don't go named. Uh, with a little bit of help from the Vulcans, apparently, in terms of like supplies and logistics. And they limped to the to SETI Alpha 5, which is kind of a fun reference because... Uh, if you recall from uh, Khan's episodes in TOS, uh, SETI Alpha 5 was the planet that Khan was set on in the episode he originally appeared on. But of course, that got turned into a desert wasteland after SETI Alpha 6 uh, blew up. And so humans uh, decided to take refuge on a planet that is destined to become a desert wasteland anyway. Doomed. It's a cruel joke. I want to go back to Archer taking the bad news that all of humanity has been wiped out, save 6,000. Scott Bakula sells the hell out of this. And it's incredible because this is the realization that his mission has been a, a true fail. It's not just Earth has been destroyed. Humanity has been wiped out. It is his worst nightmares coming true. Uh, This mission that he undertook uh, and shouldered the the fate of humanity has failed. And we've seen Archer get pissy and Archer take ugly losses a lot in this show. We've even even like the most petty, smallest of losses. And it used to be such a petulant shitty man child tantrum yeah and there's none of that here it is it is just actual like despair it's great acting to the point where it sticks out as odd for enterprise and you know i feel like it's been a long time since we've really seen scott back you'll be able to go a hundred percent with an emotional outburst in it to feel uh, genuine and the appropriate tone. So 
great job there to everyone involved in uh, Archer taking this hard. Uh, there is a brief scene still in the past when we see Saval visit with T'Pol on Enterprise. Where she's he's trying to get her to like, OK, you, you help them best you could come home. We'll put you back on the books. Resume your career. Humanity. Is fucked. fucked. They're, they're fucking done. You don't need to try and help them anymore. Not only uh, will we forgive you quitting, but if you come back with us now, you can bring Archer and we will put the science directorate's resources behind trying to fix whatever these brain parasites are. I thought that was uh, that was a big. Her decision not to take him up on the offer was rough. Like she knows that Art. I, I think she's already forecasting her head at this point. Like Archer's going to have to leave the ship. I'm going to have to give up my command. Uh, I've fucked things up, so maybe I'm not really a use here, and 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 I'm not a big value add right now. Obviously, she couldn't have done that for terms of the story. I think this would have been a cool point also here because this is a big story of what if, right? What if Archer failed? uh, Earth is destroyed. Humanity is wiped out. The Federation never gets found. There's a second. There's a, a tertiary story that's been told along Enterprise, and it's the Vulcans have a lot of growing up to do still. Mm hmm. I think this would have been a great point to show that the Vulcans still have growing up to do if uh, if the Vulcans would have basically hung Earth out to dry. And, Which and, they kind of did, though. I mean, like, that's ultimately kind of to Paul's point, right? Like, we're partially to blame. We purposefully held back their warp plans for as long as we could. 100 years. And if they had been able to develop the technology at the rate in which they seemed to be able to, uh, they they may have been better prepared for what the Zindi did. They would have had better defenses. They would have had more ships. They would have been able to fend off this assault. And we chose to hold them back. And in the moment of crisis, we weren't there. The Vulcan fleet was not deployed to defend Earth. Uh, she doesn't call that specific. No, but like... I think what's interesting, too, is that Saval survived, which shows that he was not on the enclave when this went down. Right. Now, he's been out in the field before, but so she says, hey, we're partially responsible because we held them back and maybe they could have met this threat better head on. He says maybe had they not been so brash as to get out into the galaxy, the Zindi thing would have never happened at all, which is a fair uh, assessment. I think they could have made Suval or the Vulcans much more sinister here and just saying this, you know, these allies are not worth our time. This is a failed uh, diplomatic investment. Leave them behind. They're going to drag you down too. Um, you know, they're, they're not worth helping and uh, we're turning a heart. They wanted to go and relocate and recolonize on Vulcan. We told them, no, this is, this is a one-sided relationship. We're done with this. I get why they wouldn't, because putting that what if out there would show that the Vulcans have. Would have, for all intents and purposes, turned a back on humanity, and that's hard to walk back, even with you, like, you know, completely change the. Yeah, you don't want to put that moral stain on them. You want them to still be credible allies in the future. But again, for a what if story, I think that. Humanity falling is bad for everybody. Uh, would have been a good message to to put across in this. The plot really kicks off when Flock shows up, whose makeup to make him look older is probably the best out of everybody because they kind of like do. You've never seen an old Denoblian, right? So they kind of kind of get a little wild with like, what does that mean? How does his, you know, his hair is longer, but he's also kind of like his whole makeup scheme on his face is just different. It looks like he is older, and he does some scans and says, hey, actually, I'm here because I've spent the last 12 years researching how to fucking cure you. I think we have a way. But it involves I like us. the way he phrases it, though. He's like, when I went back initially to Denoblia, uh, you know, they said 
there's no way to fix this guy with the technology currently available short of what, like making a subspace implosion or something. Correct. So I spent the past nine years developing the technology and they're having this conversation up on Voyager. That's something we missed. Uh, when up on Voyager? meets, no, well, it would have been Voyager <laughs> <laughs> when they, uh, when T'Pol greets Archer at the beginning, she's like, today's a special day. I'm going to give you a long rundown of what happened so you understand, because today we're going to try to fix you. Enterprise is in town. <clears throat> they fly up. They get in Enterprise. Uh, the aforementioned rough life everybody has been living, specifically Reed, is driven home. I like uh, everybody's uniforms kind of ripped up and fucked up. We find out Tripp's been the captain. Uh, Reed's actually getting promoted to take over captain of uh, Intrepid. Again, real shades of Battlestar Galactica here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All intentional. And that that's a great intersection between our Patreon content for the Battlestar Galactica review. And uh, I mean, this is contemporary to it. We've talked about it. You know, there's terrorism overtones in both categories. Ragtag fleet, limited mm -hmm. resources. Uh, you got to take officers from some ships to restock others. Uh, but Flox goes, hey, listen, yeah, I got great news. I've developed a technology since, believe it or not, this used to be a Voyager script. The solution to fixing the problem is we're going to hook you up to the warp core. <laughs> <laughs> Explain it. At least it's not inexplicably next to the warp core. It's expressively has to be next to the warp core. Well, listen, Tom's, Tom's lizard bullshit from Transwarp. They had to put him on the warp lung there, and that's that's what's going on here. You know, they they got to put him in, on the the old iron warp lung. They put him in a bed that looks like the uh, chamber that they assemble Mila Jonovich in Fifth Element. And they target parts of his brain where the parasites are. And they go, well, can't we just wipe these all at once? And like, no, dude. <laughs> and no one's ever done this shit before. Do you want to microwave his fucking brain, you idiots? And what, derail the plot? No, we're going to do this a little bit just so we know, hey, this is working. Um, but we're going to give, you know, an opportunity for some shit to go on. Before they wrap up in sick bay. To Paul spots something, she says, there's a discrepancy. Something's weird. And then Flox really starts taking a closer look. Meanwhile, and this is a secret colony, by the way, right? Yeah, uh, they purposely is... kept this shit close to the vest. So the Zindi, who've been, who hunted down all the other convoys, right? They were more than 6,000 survivors at first. All of the other convoys got ambushed and destroyed. So the Zindi are out to literally genocide humans from the entire galaxy. And these are the last ones. So they are keeping real quiet about where they are. Enterprise, uh, its mission now is to just patrol the sector with the other remnant Starfleet ships and try to protect the colony at all costs. Uh, trip spots something weird over by the sun. It's a little ship hanging out. They fly over. Um, trip has also made it explicitly clear to everybody that antimatter is in short supply. Uh, these warp core uh, brain treatments they've been giving Archer have a real cost. And now that there's something fucky going on, Trip has to make the decision. Do I let my close friend and my old boss continue getting his brain cancer treatments? Or do I protect the remaining Earth colony with the energy that we have left over? They fly over. The, the the they've when they fly over, they discover an old favorite. This guy who's in this little ship that they uh, they managed to prevent from escaping is a Eurydian, which is actually a, a race we originally saw on TNG, and their shadiness as uh, information gatherers is a trait from that era, and yeah. He's an information broker, and apparently what he was contracted to do through a third party was do one thing. If Phlox leaves Denoblia, follow him, which is fucking awesome. Like, yeah. that guy leaves this planet for any reason. It's going to be to help out his friends. We never destroyed the NX-01, so whoever the fuck that thing is is where the rest of humanity is. We, 
we're not stupid. We know that. And Phlox was boys with those boys. So if he leaves, he's going to lead us right fucking to them. And that's exactly what happened. Very clever. His ship looked super advanced, too. When I saw that. Yeah. I was fully before they actually, you know, cut into the interior for the interrogation. I was fully expecting that to be. Um, one of these time vessels. Time ships from whatever future Federation was, and that's how they were going to start like resolving plot here. But no, it was a great play. Uh, I could have gone for a name check on Rajin or someone who had actually done advanced reconnaissance inside Enterprise to be the one to finger and say, hey, you know, this is how we find Enterprise and this is how we find the remaining um, Earth colonies. About that time, they find two uh, ships or I'm sorry, uh, an armada of ships coming into the sector. Enterprise moves into intercept. This is also there is an important plot point amongst all of this preparations for this potential ambush. And that is when Trip says, no, you can't do any more brain cancer treatments. Phlox and T'Pol have figured out like, no, bro, you don't understand. When we zapped his brain and took out a piece of the parasites, it removed the parasites, not just from his brain now, but in every scan I have ever done for 12 years of his brain. So these things exist out of space time. And when you eliminate them here, you eliminate them in every other time. And their rationalization is if we finish his treatment, then he'll never have had them. And if he's never have had them, then consequently history will change because he will never have been relieved of command. And whatever comes from that has to be better than the situation we're in now. Right. Whatever that is, has to, can only improve. Even if there's 6,001 survivors, still better. How lucky for them that when they eradicate those spots <clears throat> and they go back in time and disappear as well, that uh, the space time continuum doesn't change their memories to no, they never existed, right? That's how that should have worked as far as what we usually see in Star Trek is if you change the past, your memories will change to jive with the past as a result. They wouldn't have noticed that they were right. gone. Yeah. Timey-wimey. In fact, it might even uh, think the treatment wasn't effective because it's like there's there were 31 spots before we destroyed two of the spots. Uh, no, man, there's always been 29 spots. I think that you can justify it by saying because the parasites were still there, history had not actually changed so they can observe the change in time because the change hasn't been significant enough to actually alter what occurred. They have to eliminate all of them before they'll forget that they ever eliminated them. No, Joe, the correct answer is time travel episodes are stupid. Oh, no, this one's good. It's good, but time travel is stupid. What's not uh, stupid is the fucking banger of a space fight we get here in a second. Well, yeah, so they go, hey, listen, we, we think we've got a way to, like, save this thing. Again, this is where I really think it should have been. We can undo all of this and and send a message back in time, or he might be able, you know, the way we, you know, we can reencode his brain or something fucky where we can send a message back in time which I would really like to see to, to justify this thing. So it wasn't a bottle episode by our definition of bottle and that it does not. There's no information carryover. It's a self-contained event. Yeah, this is a bottle episode by our reckoning, which is correct. The correct reckoning. But it's, hey, we think we can fix Archer or you can go fight these guys. I don't blame Trip for saying, hey, we, you know your conjectural theory versus real phasers and some sweet new shields that Shran gave us. Unlike those fucking Vulcan dickheads. We're going to go fly off and fight these guys. And it's a pretty good space fight. You got some real pre TOS looking ships on uh, planet earth side. The biggest criticism I can levy again. No, I'm sorry. The second biggest criticism I can levy. Cause the first is that it's a bottle episode. Uh, the second was it's been nine years since the Zindi won. The Zindi should have done nothing but continue to prosper as a result. Uh, now unified under the fact they just destroyed the 
oppressor that was going to kill all of them, their shit should be nine years better than Enterprise. And everything on Enterprise is ragtag, low on power, and beat the fuck up. So the fact that they don't just completely obliterate Earth's forces on first contact, kind of hokey. They are not ragtag. They have spent some time improving what they have left, drawing on the last allies that they have, right? Like, that's the implication is Shran felt bad about what happened to him. It's like, hey, boys, have some shields for your ships. Like, try to defend yourselves, I guess. You know, like, so them putting up a fight makes sense to me. It's enough dialogue that I'm not going to harp on it. Still, I think that the Zindi are coming in lower power than they they should have um i guess they could have also gone for a little bit of dialogue like why they wouldn't have just set up a colony within vulcan or uh andorian space but yeah it's it's obvious you ally with earth and you're gonna get your homeworld fucking zapped too because although like the zindi apparently have a death star like you don't want to fuck liter- with that. literally literally yeah. um and i think that would have been interesting again if this was anything more than a cautionary tale like how would the rest of the galaxy react to finding out that hey the zindi have a fucking death star and are a capital level threat to all of us um we see the intrepid get it's like fucking nacelle ripped off um which was really cool uh the enterprise's bridge is literally just phasered the fuck off, just blown out. Uh, I was, I checked, I tried to slow it down to see if you could see any bodies flying no, out. You could not, but you can um, see it's a really neat shot. Uh, first of all, yeah, Intrepid gets off super easy. It's rare you can cut in a cell off and the ship not just blow the fuck up, but they hammer the Enterprise again, targeted shots on the bridge. The top dome of the bridge blows off. You can see all the chairs and railings and stuff. It's a great it's kind of like whatever the middle Star Wars movie was where they can like hyperspace. No, I guess it was uh, was the last one. The third one, you can just hyperspace into a ship and blow it up. Like if you can just blow the fucking walls off the bridge and suck command out into space, like why wouldn't you do that every fight? Also, why would you keep putting the command center on the very top where it's the most exposed? You know where the CIC is in Battlestar Galactica? In the middle of the fucking ship. <laughs> the bridge. That's that's where you know you should have been on uh, for Enterprise. <coughs> or I'm sorry, Next Gen. The the most middle of the ship. We inevitably reach our end here with having to basically uh, do ex- what Phlox, you know, jokingly mentioned earlier, which is well, we get down to engineering. We're gonna try and like finish your treatment because I might change space time. Things are desperate. Most of the crew is just getting murdered by the Zindi. We watch everyone that's left. Sloppy Makos. Not checking their six, getting shot from behind by gel-suited jumpsuits. Shame on you, Makos. They're they're trying to, you know, they're trying to keep their their full cover behind the corners so they can Mm -hmm. get their Overwatch shots in. See, I did an X-Comer. I did it. I managed. Thank you for setting me up. And uh, everyone's getting gunned down. They get down to engineering, the pod's broken, so they're just going to create a subspace implosion by blowing up the ship. Because why not at this point? The ship's going to get blown up anyway. If this zaps the parasites and changes space-time, great. If it doesn't, nothing of value was lost. Again, real heavy retread here, Year of Hell. The whole ship's got to go. I mean, it it's always comes down to this in Star Trek. Like, the Hail Mary pass to save the day and go back in time and undo all of the bad stuff just as everybody else is dying around you. I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, You know, I was certainly invest. I don't know, man. There was a certain point right before uh, or as soon as the they they capture the guy and it's not like a, a time traveler and it's a spy and, you know, the Zindi are coming. It's like, you know exactly how this episode's going to end. There's, uh-huh. there's no the only question is, was Archer going to retain memory of what happened moving forward? But even knowing exactly what's going to happen, seeing the same beats hit that we've hit over and over again, it's good. First, you know, uh, do no harm is not within Flox's catalog. He guns yeah. a full, few people down with a phaser before they get him uh, to Paul. 
gets gunned down pretty hard. Uh, Archer, as a result of having a constant 24-7 erection from his head wound that keeps giving, turns into a complete bullet sponge. This yeah, guy's taken shot like, three times. Like 15 times. He's he's a fucking Terminator. Of course, Fox with has his, the most impressive death because he gets shot and then he gets to do the railing fall. It's classic, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as he dies, you know, his hand brushes the console, blows the ship up. We cut back to present day Enterprise where Archer's land there kind of concussed. Oh, hey, you know, everything's healing up nice. Here's yeah, uh, be from under, uh, under observation. Here's an iPad with the movie you were going to watch. You know, let me get a pillow for you. Yeah, he starts. It's it's clever. Um, to Paul's going to leave. Hey, can you give me a pillow? Apparently in the future, they keep pillows in drawers. Just like a tiny little drawer. Just like this here. Is, <laughs> this is the pillow drawer. One pillow only, though. This is the <laughs> pillow dispenser. Before you in the land before replicators, you keep uh, bedding in sterilite containers. Hey, can you turn the lights down a little bit? You'd have made a great nurse which is, you know, a call to the future where she spends time. And we didn't really focus on that, but the romance subplot here is that in uh, to Paul's decision to resign her command of Enterprise and stay on the surface, because Archer, and there's a lot of screen real estate, granted the fact that he's not productive. He's, he has been regulated to staying out of the way even though he's a great pilot and he's a great warp core engineer and, and all the other Mary Sue shit, uh, his inability to retain memories creates uncomfortable working situations and there is no place for him on enterprise. He needs a caretaker. It's unfair to ask other people to dedicate his time. So she's the only one for the job. And over the years, or maybe it's because he ultimately sacrificed himself for her. There's feelings. And there's kind of this hope that like, hey, maybe if we can clear his memory on all this stuff before they know about the, you know, we can actually go back in time and quantum leap him back. Once he can start retaining these memories, there might be real romance for us. She never explicitly acknowledges it, but it's there and it's super effective. It is Um, because it is understated, like playing it soft and not having them really address their level of intimacy helped make it feel realistic rather than forced. How would you have felt when with her dying breath, it would have been like for the past nine years, I've loved you or like some sort of admission going down. I think it was better to not do that because if you do that, then you're really demanding that it carries forward that like, that's a hard, that would be a hard commit to we're going to make to Paul and Archer a couple by leaving it ambiguous. You you know they were you close. See it. You see that they were close, but was it they close because of these specific circumstances, or were they close because they really have a connection than they're kind of meant to be? There's and no by, receipt. There's no proof. And that way, by keeping it a little ambiguous, you can definitely see a world where they remain friends but don't become romantic, right? And I think that that was the right call here. And the fact that this is the last gasp of they're very much going to fully deliver on everything they've set up with with Paul and Archer or Paul and Archer uh uh Trippin's Paul this is the right way to kind of send it off right like to say this this could have been but it's not you know that that future literally got obliterated but yeah maybe that could have happened under different circumstances I like that and it was the right note to be on uh, again, uh, they, they, they cut to the future. You know, you would have been a great nurse and off That's they bad. go. Yeah. Good episode. Good episode. Again, I think it's a real crime that there's no carry forward on it, that this is a bottle episode. It's the same criticism I had for year of hell. Um, again, year of hell, them not carrying that information forward, like, I think it would have been kind of cheaty had they had that advanced knowledge on the Kremen. Um, This again, just putting the absolute most dire stakes to haunt Archer moving forward, I think would have been a a really solid character. um, A a nature change for him from explorer to, to soldier. However you want to phrase it, like 
it could have really. I'm 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 buying into what you're saying here, which is this could have been the momentum to really shift the character. So even if you're not accepting the premise of that, he needed it because he was shitty. If you're just like, oh, he's an explorer. I mean, I could take him from explorer to anti-terrorism expert, Mm -hmm. you know, gritty Jack Bauer reboot. uh, And you want a method for that. This would have worked. Uh, But I kind of like that they took a few episodes to finally do something like this because you've already had some texture to what they're trying to do with the whole Zindi arc. And now you understand stakes better, right? Like now these guys are hard committed to genociding all of humanity, which, you know, I think has always been clear through all the Legion of doom talk. Like I know what the death star can do. I saw star Wars. I, I know what these guys are trying to do here. Ultimately it doesn't kill the episode or even really drag it out of an excellent spot. Looking at this as a Voyager script and the memory alpha brings it up as well. If this was have actually come out as a Voyager script, I think it would have been very similar to uh, Little House on the Prairie. Where you had Chakotay and Janeway left behind for six months for their little fantasy life together. Right. Um, The stakes there again, just being. We could have had a life together and developed romantically having the Zindi war and the eradication of the human species as a consequence is a much better backdrop and, and facilitated. And again, I mean, they knew what they had with this episode. Uh, As soon as it happened, the, the votes were in. Um, I don't think this is the best enterprise episode that uh, I've seen, but it's certainly top three. What are we watching next week, Peter? Uh, We're going to be moving into, North Star. Uh, first aired November 12th, 2003. Written by David Goodman, which I think is a new name for us. Directed by David Stride and speaking of, you know, uh, directorial names that we've seen several times now. Oh, good. I see Archer in a cowboy hat. What could go wrong? <laughs> Archer and the crew try to discover why a 19th century era human settlement has been placed in the middle of the expanse. Is this going to be another species 8472 holodeck colony? No. Is this going to be the 57s? No, it was the 37s. It was the 37s. What if you did the 37s, but you actually got to see where they live? (laughs) Uh, It would still be a shitty episode because the 37s was one of the worst, or so we thought at the time. (laughs) You know what? I'll be interested to see if this... I thought it was interesting at the time. You know, like... It was definitely was a Star Trek. This is a very Star Trek episode, right? Like this is a very like specific to the genre of Star Trek episode. It's one of those Star Trek episodes where you have to uh, bite your tongue in criticizing how fucking stupid the concept is because original series used to have green hands of God <laughs> grabbing the ship and they were fighting celestial Abraham Lincoln's like Q stuff like this is fucking stupid and over the top, uh, man, it's in the first and last episodes. Like it's, that's definitely genre. And it's like the goofy cousin that you don't really want to talk about in the family tree. I think you've summed it up quite nicely. I can't wait to review <laughs> it, sir. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, we appreciate you, uh, writing, engaging with us on social media, whether it's at our email at VG, gmail.com, whether it's on our Facebook group the Vidra please trauma support group whether it is on our discord which we will happily extend links to and have permalinks on uh on our facebook to to be able to join um or if you want to subscribe to us on patreon www.patreon.com slash please where you'll find exclusive reviews just for you particularly here about card we're we're undertaking that labor as we speak contact us anytime and we'll see you next week <laughs>